It is great to be joining with you and wherever you are in the world today, a massive arise welcome to you, whether you're online or in one of our locals. Kia ora, it is so great to be joining with you. And hey, I want to give one great special shout out to everybody in Masterton. And uh, so great. I know Johnny and Steph are over there. It's our first gathering on a Sunday in Masterton. And we're so excited about what God is going to do in Masterton and in the greater Wairarapa region. We just praise God for you. And we believe in, hey, great days there for over there. It's our first gathering on a Sunday in Masterton. And we're so excited about what God is going to do in Masterton and in the greater Wairarapa region. We just praise God for you. And we believe in, hey, great days are ahead. And we're so excited for all that is going to happen up there. But today, I'm going to be continuing our series called Check the Foundations. And if you're taking notes, you want to write down the title of my message today. It's very simple. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Going to be reading from Matthew chapter 22 and verse number 34. And it says these words, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, questioned, tested Jesus with this question. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang, they hang on these two commandments. So Jesus has asked this question. He said, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? And I love Jesus because He never answers a question just with the confinement that they've given Him. They say, what's the greatest? And He answers with two. And Jesus answers these commandment questions with these two things. He says, number one, you've got to love God. And number two, you have to love people. The greatest commandment, the first commandment, love God. What Jesus is highlighting is what is the most important thing in any person's life, their relationship with God. And here's the thing, is that you can't live a life of love if you aren't being filled with the love of God, because God is love. I mean, the, it's the only abstract noun that God centers Himself in. God is love. God is love. And when we know God and we experience His love in our hearts and moving in our lives, it fills a void that no person can fill. It fills us with His love. The second thing that God says, that Jesus says, is love people. It is impossible to love God and not love people. People. I want you to notice that what Jesus says is the second commandment is like it. It's like it. In the English, we translate that as like, but in the original text, it's not actually the word like. It's what the word translated means these words. It means it's almost the same as. It's, it, it literally means that it is inextricably linked to or it is inseparable from the first commandment. When Jesus says, love God and love people, He is literally saying, when you find the love of God and it fills your heart, you're gonna find that love begins to overflow and you're gonna love people as well. The second is liked, it is linked, it is the same thing. If you love God, you will love people. See, Jesus died for people. 
John 3.16, we all know it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. He gave His Son because He loves people. And when His love fills our hearts, we are filled with love for people as well. There are only two eternal things on this world, God and people. And the church is where they come together. And we want to be the church that is taking the love of God and reaching our world in Jesus' name. We live in a world of excess today. We live in a world where there is an abundance of information, an abundance of opinions, an abundance of, of, of options, a bunch of facts. We have 10 sets for this and, and six keys for that and an overwhelming amount of information and content that we are consuming. And all these things promise that they're going to make our lives better, that they're going to fill us with a, with a richer life, with a blessed life, with all of these abundance and overflow kinds of things. But the reality is that these things actually tend to fill our lives with further complication. And the challenge of a complicated life is the more complicated my life becomes, the more I begin to focus on myself and my own needs and what I'm going to get out of all of these things. But Jesus wants us to live our lives focused on others. And that's why He brings it back to a very simple and better way. Love God and love people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love people. And Luke, we, we, we see this similar conversation happen, and potentially it's the same conversation told a different way from a different perspective, but it goes further because in the, in the telling that Luke gives us, the man wants to justify himself, the Bible says in Luke chapter 10 and verse 29. So he asked Jesus this question. He goes, so, so who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And I reckon in our modern world with a global environment, it's a great question for us to answer. Who is our neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Who's mine today? And listen to what Jesus said in reply to the question, who should I be loving as myself? My neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Here's what Jesus says. Well, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and they went away. Listen to these words, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. He saw the man and he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wound, pouring on oil and wine. He took the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And listen to the words of Jesus today. He says, I want you to go and do likewise. The eternal Word of God to us. As we're hearing this wherever we are in the world today, go and do likewise. 
The story of the Good Samaritan, my friends, is not just a story of a one-off deed. I don't believe that one guy just one day decided to do something good for one person. This is a recipe for us of how to live a fulfilled life in the call of God in Jesus' name. It's a well-known story, but it's one that we need to keep alive in our hearts if we're going to live this kind of life that is reaching out and making an impact on other people. So easy in our culture to become individualistic, to become selfish, to become continually self-centered in the world that we're in. But when we hear the words of Jesus and we read this parable, we are reminded that we cannot live only to serve ourselves and our own needs. You and I are not here to worship our personal trilogy of me, myself, and I. We are here to worship God and to display His love in actions in the lives of people. I love what Charles Dickens said, No one is useless in this world who lightens the burdens of another. And here arise, our first value is love. We believe in loving God and in loving people, of making an impact in the world. And that is what should distinguish the church from any other organization is the love of God in the center of it, reaching into the lives of people. In fact, Jesus said in John 13 and verse 35, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if, it's a big word, if you love each other. Love is the center of what we're called to do. And in English, it's a crazy language, English, because I use the same word love to describe how I feel about steak. I love a good steak. And I describe it when I talk about my wife because I love my wife. I just want to be really clear that the two are in no way comparable, right? I'm going to eat a steak, that's one meal. My wife has, has been with me, been faithful for 23 years, give me three amazing children, fill my life with joy and with laughter and with this craziness that I love. Uh, and, and, but love in the English language is such an such a all-encompassing word. But, you know, I've been learning Spanish over the last few years because I've, I've developed a friendship with some pastor friends of ours in an amazing church network, Fuente de Vida, all through the nation of Chile in South America. And, and I was going down there to preach for them. And so I'm learning Spanish because I wanted to be able to connect with people. And uh, I sent a text message one day. We're texting back and forth. And I, I've learned enough Spanish that I'm dangerous now, you know. If anyone has ever learned another language, you know what I mean. And so I'm trying to communicate with these guys. And I sent a text. And at the end of it, I thought, I'll just say, hey, why don't you give my love to your wife? And so I wrote, give my love to your wife. And my brother-in-law, Andrew, is a fluent Spanish speaker. And, and I said to him, oh, look, I wrote these texts. And he's flicking through the text, reading what I've written, you know, just sort of checking what I've written, really. And, uh, and he just gets to the bottom and he just starts laughing. And I'm like, what's so funny? He goes, you don't give that kind of love to another man's wife, mate. <laughs> it's just love. But in other languages, love is more clearly defined. And it is the same way in Greek when you, when you begin, which is the Bible's written in Greek and then translated into English. And when Jesus says love, when He's speaking about if you love one another, He's saying love people. When you read, the, when you read that word, He is not using a word called, the Greeks had this word eros, which is sexual love. And we have the words erotic and these things in the English language today. He's not talking about uh, philia, which is a friendship kind of love. The word that Jesus uses is agape. And agape, it means this, a commitment of devotion that is directed by the will and is commanded as a duty. It's a deeper kind of love. 
It's not just a, a surface love. It is a love that is put in us by God. I believe that to have true agape love, you need God to put that in you and then it overflows into the world around you. And when you're talking about loving people, Jesus uses this word, agape, agape. And here's the thing, church, that I want to challenge us is that we can have anointed worship. We can have amazing preaching. We can have faith for miracles. But hey, what does the Bible says? If I have all those things, but I have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I've got nothing if I don't have love in the center of what I'm doing. And, and love, I love what uh, former Prime Minister of England, Margaret Thatcher, once said these words, if, if no one would remember the good Samaritan if he'd only had good intentions. Point number one, if you're taking notes, the good Samaritan was willing to get involved. He was willing to get involved. We can read Scripture and we can quote it. We can recite ideas on love and on God. But unless we're willing to get involved in the lives of people, we're just blowing smoke. The Samaritan treated and bandaged the wounds. He, he set the injured man on his own donkey. He took him to the inn. He cared for him. Listen to me today. The priest and the Levite didn't get involved. That's a picture. And this is Jesus speaking. This is not someone who's having a go at the church. This is Jesus saying, these people claim to know me, but they don't act in a way that backs that up. He's not looking for religion, my friend. God is looking for people who are willing to get involved, who are, uh, have the love of God in their lives and allowing that to overflow and get involved in the lives of people. The Samaritan got involved. He acted on it. He had compassion. And in 1 John chapter 3, and verse 18, the, the apostle writes and he says, Dear children, let us, let us not love with words or with tongue, but with action. And in truth. The second thing I want you to see is that this good Samaritan, he passed by all the why not reasons that he had. He, he would have had a lot of why nots, but he stepped past those to make an impact. I mean, in that, in that world, the social status, the, the race of this Jewish man and the Samaritans, there's tremendous racism. They hated each other, but he stepped past that. Maybe, maybe the age, I don't know, the appearance, the background. So many things in our world today that would be why not reasons I wouldn't get involved in that situation or that scenario. But yet he stepped past all those things, not basing it on outward appearance or on background or any of those things. But he looked past and said, that is a child of God. And so I can and I must get involved in his life. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 32, Jesus challenges us. And he says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who good, do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those who are going to pay you back, what credit is that to you? But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful. Notice, that's what the Good Samaritan wants. He was merciful. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. I want you to notice something here is that the word that we translate enemy doesn't just mean enemy. It literally can mean someone who is despised, someone who is unloved, 
someone who is unwanted or someone who is seen as having no value. And the Good Samaritan stepped past all of the things that would say no, I believe, because he saw the value in the person who was on the side of the road. And we can so often look at this and say, well, I don't really have enemies. I don't really have people that I hate. I'm not in any kind of ongoing conflict. But I want to challenge us today. What about the people that we walk past and we don't engage in the value that is intrinsic in that person? We don't see in their life the gift of God. We don't look at them and believe there's potential for them to do something great. We aren't looking in a way. We're not seeing people through the eyes of their Savior to see all that God could do in their life. And come on, Jesus died for everybody. And that's the value that He puts on people. There will always be why nots. There will always be reasons why we shouldn't or we couldn't or we won't. But let's step past all those reasons and live a life of love in Jesus' name. The third thing I want you to see is that the Good Samaritan was willing to be interrupted. I mean, he was on a journey. We don't know where he's going, but he was going somewhere. The priest and the Levite, they just kept on going. They weren't prepared to be interrupted. I've got something going on. Hey, listen, in our modern world, we've all got something going on. We're all going somewhere. We're all, we're all trying to get to a destination. We're busy. But here's the thing. The Good Samaritan said, no, I'm prepared to be interrupted because this person is worth an interruption. Probably this Good Samaritan had a timeline. He probably had a schedule. His iPhone was probably telling him that he had an appointment in under 15 minutes. And he loves someone on the way. How often are we waiting for the perfect time to make a difference? Because I found in life the perfect time just never arrives. But the opportunity of a lifetime only exists in the lifetime of that opportunity. And if we are prepared to be interrupted, not just to walk past need, not just to walk past people, but to say, hey, I'm going to stop. You're worth it to God. You're worth it to me. Prepare to be interrupted on the journey. We must love on the way. We must be willing to be interrupted. And the fourth thing that I love about the Good Samaritan was that he was committed to love despite the personal cost. I mean, the Samaritan didn't know how long the injured man would be laid up. I mean, the Bible says that the attack left him half dead. How long did it take in that day and in that age to recover from being beaten to that point where you're half dead? And I love the fact that he takes him to, a, to an inn or a hotel or a motel, whatever, and, he's, and he puts him in the room. He looks after him. He gives the innkeeper money and he says, look after him. I'm going to come back. And when I get back, I'm going to pay for any extra costs that he might incur along the way. I mean, he's not looking to limit his exposure in this scenario. He's not saying, hey, hey, listen, you know, if there's one more thing, do it. But after that, I'm out. He's saying, no, I'm committed to a life of love despite what that might cost me. And you know, if you're going to live a life of love, it's going to have cost. And time, your money, your, your, just your ability to do whatever you want. It's going to cause us to be constricted. But the well-being of the stranger was more important to the Good Samaritan than what the cost might be. And I don't know about you, but I find that challenging. It's a challenging thing. But he was committed to loving this man past the point of public acknowledgement. 
And I want you to see this today because this is so powerful. Because on the road was public, but in the end, it's private. Because nobody's seeing what's happening in the end. Nobody sees what happens in private environments where we're prepared to take time for that young person who needs a hand up. Where we're prepared to sit with that family and they don't have the acumen to resource themselves financially. And we're saying, hey, let me help you to understand how you could get forward. Nobody sees the private times where we sit with marriages that are struggling and we help to reconcile people in their strength. And nobody sees those private moments, maybe when you visit somebody in a hospital and you pray and you believe for the healing power of Jesus in their life. And just the fact that you're there is bringing love of God, the love of God into their lives. But it's the private that costs them more than the public. But it's the private that matters so much. Long after he was taken from the public road, the Samaritan was with the man in private and his generosity was followed through. And hey, you know, across our church, we have some of the most amazing people doing incredible things. And I want to give a shout out to one of our amazing church members. His name is Ross Fowler. He's part of our Kingdom Business community in our Christchurch campus. And Ross is and his wife Liz have been involved for uh, since they moved to Christchurch, really, in one of our breakfast clubs. And they're out there feeding kids who otherwise wouldn't get breakfast in the school. And it's literally the, the far side of the city. It's as far away probably from their house as you could get. But they engaged in that. And one of the teachers at the school found out that Ross is into rugby. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately... Ross is still a Chiefs fan, but we're praying for him to become a Crusaders fan. But uh, he, he's up there. He's, he's, he's really into rugby. And so she said, would you help us? Because we have no one to coach our year five and six rugby team. Would you coach the team? And he's like, yeah, I could do that. So he starts coaching the team. And he's down there every week coaching these kids. And you know, the great thing, he's speaking life into them. He's speaking hope into them. He's investing his time. He's really lifting these kids. It's amazing what he is investing into their lives. Then Ross thought to himself, you know what? I've got a bunch of contacts and I could leverage some of those relationships that I have and influence to be able to get these kids something more than just the opportunity to play for their school. So he went around and talked to a whole bunch of his friends and, and, he, and he was able to get the sponsorship for the team. So then he was able to give to every kid and their own ball with their name on it. He gave them all a bag, a hat, and a practice jumper that they could wear to their practice. And these kids, I mean, you just can't imagine how excited they are. They're over the moon and God is just using them to make such an incredible impact. But I want you to see that as He's come into their lives, He hasn't said, I'm just gonna do this and then I'm out. But He's allowed the love of God to overflow and impact in a greater way. And I want to challenge everybody who's here in this talk, wherever you are in the world today, wherever, maybe you're joining with us in a Rise Local. Come on, let's allow the love of God to fill our hearts as well. We gotta be committed to love, no matter what it costs us. Here's what I found is if I live out the love of God, God will always supply more than I need because God is always gonna allow that blessing to flow through my life to other people. If I allow it to flow out, God will cause it to flow in, in Jesus' Name. And I love that the, the Scripture, it doesn't tell us anything more about the life of this man that the Samaritan helped. And obviously it's a parable Jesus told, it's a story. It's, but He stops at this point where the guy's getting better. 
But here's what I know from personal experience, and I know it from the lives of thousands of people who are part of our church world, is that changed lives change lives. And when this man, if we were to continue the story, was healed of his illness, I bet you he wouldn't walk past someone who's on the side of the road. I bet you when the love of God came into his life through the Samaritan, when he realized that my neighbor is just not the guy living beside me, but my neighbor is everybody across this planet. Everybody in Aotearoa, New Zealand today is my neighbor and I can make an impact in their lives for the glory of God. I reckon there was a change in his behavior. And I believe for us today, that as we've experienced God's love in our lives, that we should overflow that into the community and the world that is around us. Because Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Not the found, but the lost. And if you're watching today and you already have a relationship with God, come on, I want to inspire you this, today, wherever you are, wherever you are today, to say, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and I'm going to reach into somebody else's life. I'm going to step past all the why nots. I'm going to step, even though it might be an interruption in my life, but I'm not going to just look and say that's sad and just pray a prayer. And I believe prayer is powerful, but hey, maybe God's calling you to be the answer to your prayers and to step in the lives of other people in Jesus' name. Our church is called to make a difference in people's lives and to make a difference in our community. It is our mission to lift those who are around us, to be the answer in our world and to love without limits. That is what God did for us. And that is what we must do for the people around us.